chapel this evening as we consider what Presbyterians believe. We continue with this series of the, on the topics that are covered in the Westminster Confession of Faith. I turn now to Romans chapter 8 as, a, as our beginning scripture for this evening. There will be several scriptures that I'll read from tonight, but this will be the one that we'll start with. Here is our jumping off point from uh, for the scripture or for the sermon rather this evening. Romans chapter 8, I'll read verses 18 through 30. Let's attend with reverence to the reading of God's holy word as the Apostle Paul was inspired to write this letter to the Christians in Rome. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for Good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word for us at the time, or at this time. Let's uh, briefly pray. Lord, we do ask now that as we consider your word, and not only hear from Romans 8, but from several other scriptures this evening, uh, that we would be well edified and would learn the doctrines that you would have us know, particularly of how we are saved in this case and how we are effectually called. We do pray that we would have a deeper understanding hereby of the God who has saved us, and thereby be all the more prepared to serve you faithfully in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, other than the doctrines of the identity of Jesus Christ, the Trinity, uh, resurrection, there is probably no teaching in Scripture that is, on the one hand, more plainly stated, and on the other hand, more trampled and uh, ignored and simply hated by Uh, men than the doctrine of eternal election and the closely related doctrine that we're going to consider tonight of effectual calling. 
That's probably because eternal election offends human pride. It offends human pride really deeply. Uh, Not only am I incapable of saving myself by my good works, I can't even say that I made the choice to be saved by God because I was good enough or smart enough or wise enough or submissive enough or what have you. No, it took God's action in the first place to make the eternal decree that I would be saved and then it took the work of the Holy Spirit to effectually call me. Only God's free and unmerited sovereign choice could have done that. In Exodus 33, as the Lord so patiently and graciously reassures Moses that he will preserve Israel as his chosen people, he tells Moses, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. In other words, He's not saying, I will be gracious to those who follow these particular commandments or do this or that. I will be gracious to whomever I choose to be gracious to. I'll have mercy on whomever I choose to have mercy on. It's my prerogative, the Lord says. God is saying, I will give unmerited favor on whomever I choose to give that unmerited favor to based on no reason other than I am the one who makes the choice. It's totally up to God. He sovereignly and freely chooses whom he will save and whom else he will leave in their sins. Not a single one of us deserves salvation. Every one of us deserves God's just wrath for our sins. And yet he chooses to pass over some and leave them in the the consequences for their sins and to rescue others from them. Paul in Ephesians 1 puts this in terms of predestination. Things uh, are through no merit of our own. God predestined each believer to be united to Christ so that we too might be heirs to the kingdom. Ephesians 1, I'll read verses 3 through 14 here really quickly. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that word chose there is, it can also be translated as elect, elected, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works in all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom 
Also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So we're predestined, as it were, if we are elect by God. He predestines us for salvation, and to be conformed to the image of Christ, to, to be saved in the first place, to receive an inheritance. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew, that is, those whom he called by name before they even existed, he also predestined to become to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, as we read a few minutes ago. Our confession pulls together the Bible's teachings on this subject and says, All those whom God hath predestined unto life, and those only he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time effectually to call by his word and spirit. So just as we saw there in Ephesians 1, God eternally predestines, he eternally elects them to salvation, and then in time they trust in Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of their inheritance. In his appointed time and accept, his appointed and accepted time effectually to call, he says, by his word and spirit, or rather this is the confession, out of that state of sin and death in which they are by nature to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone and giving unto them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills, and by his almighty power determining them to that which is good and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ, yet so as they come most freely, being made willing by his grace. So there it's talking about... uh, our wills being changed, we, us being given uh, eyes to see God for who he really is, and so we run to him, as we saw before, rather than running away from him. Uh, and so that all happens along with the effectual call of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.30, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. We are to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to all. It's not as if we can know who the predestined are. Uh, we, we simply make the general call. God, through his people preaching the gospel, makes a general call to all of mankind. When Jesus says that many are called but few are chosen, he's talking there that calling is the general call, that the few who are chosen receive the effectual call. God uses the general call effectually to call his elect. 1 Corinthians 1, 23-24, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, it is Christ, the power and wisdom of God. The preaching of the cross is a stumbling block to Jews, it's just plain stupid to Gentiles, and yet to those out of both of those groups that God is calling, it is effectual. It makes sense. It is, in fact, power and wisdom of God. The Holy Spirit enlightens the minds of those whom he is calling. Ephesians 1.18, Paul says, the eyes of our hearts have been, as it were, enlightened as he has called us. The eyes of your understanding, 
being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, which are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He exchanges the hard heart for a soft one. So often in the New Testament, of course, we know that that flesh is used as a shorthand for the fallen nature, but that's not the way Ezekiel uses it. The Lord speaking through Ezekiel saying, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit will I put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your body and give you a heart of flesh. That is a soft and pliable heart. You had stony hearts that could not be penetrated by the gospel, but I just reached in and gave you a heart transplant. And so now you have this soft heart that can be penetrated by the gospel. He renews the will of the believer, of the one whom he's causing to believe, causes them to be born again. As we see in 1 Peter 1.23, for example. We see... It says, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. We're born again. He draws the elect to Jesus. John six forty four says, no one can come to me, Jesus is saying this, unless the Father who sent me draws him. And then verse 45, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. In Acts 16, 14, Luke writes of Lydia in the city of Philippi, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So when Paul's preaching the gospel, what happened? The Lord opened her heart, and so she believed it. By renewing our wills in that way, the Holy Spirit so changes us that uh, though we were hostile in mind before, now we want the Lord. Another way of looking at it is, as I mentioned before, it's, it's as if we were blind to who God really is, and so we created something in our mind that we'd rather worship instead of Him. But then when we see God for who He truly is, that we see the beauties of Christ for who He is, we rush to Him. So we're not dragged kicking and screaming into His kingdom. We are brought quite willingly in Philippians 1, uh, 29, we're told that our belief in Christ has been granted to us. As we see, it says, and not, rather, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for our sake, for, for his sake, rather. So there's a, a, Paul's teaching there a lesson about suffering and how that's used of God as a good thing, Ultimately, even though it's something that we don't want to go through at the time, but a prerequisite to that or a presumption he's making before that is that it's been granted that we would believe in him as well. The confession also says this effectual call is of God's free and special grace alone, not from anything at all foreseen in man. So again, back to it. Uh, Romans chapter 8, when it says the, those whom he foreknew, he also called. Uh, foreknowledge of God is not simply him looking into the future because he knows the future and, and says, oh, well, that guy or that, that woman, uh, he or she looks like somebody uh, who I would like to have in my kingdom or somebody who will choose me, so I'll choose him now. Well, that's not the way it works. Uh, knowledge, in this sense, is talking about 
intimacy, closeness. God has foreordained that you would have a close relationship with him, a covenant relationship. This effectual call, the confession says, is of God's free and special grace alone, not from anything at all foreseen in man, who is altogether passive therein. So in other words, we're not active in being chosen by God. He's active and not us. Until being quickened, that is made alive, and renewed by the Holy Spirit, he is thereby enabled to answer this call and to embrace the grace offered and conveyed in it. Romans 9, 11-13, Paul writes of Jacob and Esau and how Jacob was chosen, but not Esau. And of course, that choice came before their birth, right? Uh, Though they were not yet born, Paul says, and had done nothing good or bad. So it wasn't like God said, oh, Jacob looks like a nicer kid than Esau, so I'm going to choose Jacob. No, it was before either had done good or bad. Not because of works, or rather, excuse me, I skipped. In order that God's purpose of election might continue, Paul says, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She, that's talking about Rebecca, their mother, was told the older will serve the younger as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Romans 9.16, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. It's all of God. 2 Timothy 1.9, God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose of grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So again, there's eternal election and being worked out in time through effectual calling. A wonderful outcome of this understanding is the knowledge that since salvation is not dependent on some work I do, or some work that you do, or some choice that you make or that I make, infants, mentally disabled who cannot make rational choices, but who still by nature carry the guilt of Adam's sin can be forgiven and can be saved. The Westminster Confession says elect infants dying in infancy are regenerated and saved by Christ through the Spirit who worketh when and where and how he pleaseth. So also are all other elect persons who are incapable of being outwardly called by the ministry of the word. Ordinarily, faith comes by hearing, but what about people who can't understand what they're hearing? God can still save such people. Christ called little children to him. And and think about John the Baptist. When did he first show evidence of being regenerated, being born from above? When he was actually still in his mother's womb, he leapt for joy at the sound of the voice of the woman who was carrying the Savior in her womb. So we say John the Baptist was born again before he was born. He was born from above, the, the term can actually mean as well. So make a strong biblical case that the only babies who die are elect babies. We're not certain of that, we can't be sure of that, so we're not confessionally making that a part of our confessional documents. Many Reformed people have understood that to be the case. That all mentally disabled people who can never make their own moral decisions would likewise also be elect. But if not elect of God, if not chosen from before the foundation of the world, no one can be saved. 
as the confession says, others not elected, although they may be called by the ministry of the word, so that's a general call, right? And may have some common operation of the spirit, so sometimes people seem to be more decent than other people. Yet they never truly come to Christ and therefore cannot be saved. Much less can men not professing the Christian religion be saved in any other way whatsoever. Be they never so diligent to frame their lives according to the light of nature and the law of that religion they do profess, and to assert and maintain that they may is without warrant of the word of God. So there are many today who like to say that, well, uh, the Hindu who never hears the gospel but is a faithful Hindu can still go to heaven. Of course, they won't be condemned for rejecting the gospel if they never heard it, but they'll be condemned for rejecting God for who he truly is. As Paul says in Romans 1, they're without excuse. But our confessional standards would say that, no, we can't believe that. We don't see any merit for that argument within the word of God that somebody could be saved by just being the best person they could be from the light of nature because that would fail to notice just how broken and fallen each one of us actually is. As the Puritan John Owen wrote it, natural religion was possible for Adam. By by which he means that natural religion is, is that ability through the light of nature to see God for who he truly is and worship him rightly. That may have been possible for Adam, but not since the fall has any human being ever been able, John Owen says, rightly, uh, to just look at nature and worship God correctly. We're without excuse if we don't, but our sins keep us from doing it. Our foolish hearts are darkened, as Paul says in Romans 1. But Acts 4.12 says of Christ, there is no there is salvation in no one else, as Peter speaks here and says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In Matthew 13, 14, and 15, Jesus quotes Isaiah, saying that the reprobate will never hear and understand the gospel. He actually is speaking here of the reason that he speaks in parables was so that the wrong people didn't understand. He says, And then this prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. In John 6, Jesus says, All the Father gave me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. That's a verse that we also see supports the notion of eternal security. If you're truly saved, you cannot be lost. Jesus will never cast out those who have come to him. John 6, 64, Jesus says, There are some of you, those who followed him, who do not believe. For John goes on, Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who would not believe. So there are people who outwardly seem to follow Jesus, but don't really believe. But only those who come to Jesus and do believe can be saved, and only those whom God has called will believe. 
No other religion, no other path of wisdom, no way of life can lead to heaven but Jesus. And no one can lead you to Jesus but God. Yes, he will use human agents to preach the gospel to you, but only God can give you a heart to believe. God is sovereign. He's in control. We can trust that when he makes a decree, it will come to pass. And if God has elected you for salvation or someone you know, he will make sure that you hear the gospel. Many of his elect, he causes to grow up in covenant homes, as many of us were privileged to do. But you will hear the gospel at some point, and hearing it, you will respond and lay hold of Jesus by faith, who alone is the way, the truth, and the life. So there you were eternally elected, and then in time, God effectually calls you and makes sure that you have the faith to lay hold of Christ. And that is effectual calling. Well, let's pray. Sovereign Lord, we do thank you that in your grace you have chosen a people for yourself from out of a sinful and fallen world and have effectually called them and continue to do so. That in your mercy you have forgiven their sins and that you have begun the process of conforming them to the perfect image of Jesus Christ who alone is perfectly righteous among mankind. We ask that you would complete the work you have begun in us and cause us to live lives that Bring glory to our Creator, for we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.